This podcast is brought to you by CBP Seminars at www.idealspine.com or you can reach us by phone at 800-346-5146. Also brought to you by Dr. Fred Domenico of Elite Coaching. Phone number 253-851-8353, www.elitecoachingllc.com as well as postrico.com. We have a new iPhone app out there, and since you guys are listening to iTunes, I suggest you browse over to the iTunes uh, directory and type in Posture Screen Mobile. We have the first ever posture screening application out of all 300,000 applications on iTunes. Best of all, it's free. So Posture Screen Mobile is your choice for everything from in-office to your spinal screenings. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to another week of Chiropractic United Podcast. We're bringing you the best of research, management, philosophy, and purpose in chiropractic. I'm Dr. Fred DiDomenico of Elite Coaching. We have Joe Farantelli of Postico and Deed Harrison of CBP. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is probably not only one of the most important aspects of spinal health and development, but also in management, practice, growth, and fulfilling your purpose. And that's the importance of the lordotic curves beginning in the pediatric patient. So, Dean, why don't you fill us in on uh, exactly the development of that and research and significance of uh, lordotic curves in kids. Yeah, great, great intro, Fred. Thank you, and uh, hello, everybody at Chiropractic United. Um, uh, to me, this is really one of the most underappreciated topics that there is in chiropractic, and, and that's, number one, the development of and the necessity of the pediatric cervical lordosis and how that impacts health and disease in the child and then, and then the relevance for that into adulthood. I mean, so let's just set the stage here. When, when we see a 40-year-old patient that comes in the office and they've got level 2 or level 3 degenerative joint disease and they've got a cervical kyphosis, that didn't start yesterday. I mean, that, that likely started when they were a child. And quite frankly, that, that's a challenging thing to treat. You, you can improve the cervical curve, the adult, but you're not going to get rid of that degenerative joint disease. So the solution is really let's, let's get the kids Let's correct the kids now, and then, you know, when they're 40, you're going to have this, or they're going to have much less of it. So that that's the issue today. So to begin, what I want to do is – go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, uh, can you go into a little bit – I'm sure you're already planning on it, because we have a lot of misrepresentation about the pediatric general and when it really begins – I mean, excuse me, the pediatric uh, lordosis and when it really begins in schools and what we're taught in school. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to throw out there. Um, that was a nice marketing uh, Freudian plug there. For the <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, nice. But we'll, we'll touch on that later. But yeah, I mean, there's a big misconception about the, the cervical lordosis. Many of the audience out there probably still believe that the cervical curve forms after birth. So they, they think that the cervical curve forms as the child lies on their stomach and starts to extend the head and starts to crawl. Now, the doctors that have been to CBP seminars over the last several years, they, they know this particular reference that I'm going to throw out. But we, we've known in healthcare since 1977, that's 1977, in the Journal of Anatomy, that the pediatric cervical lordosis, it forms in utero. It does not form after birth or postnatal. So 
A study came out by Bagnall, B-A-G-N-A-L-L, in the Journal of Anatomy, 1977, and it's on 195 human fetuses that range from 8 to 23 weeks conceptual age. So we're anywhere from about 25% to halfway done cooking inside mom's stomach. And what they did is they checked out the cervical curve, and they showed that the vast majority of these kids uh, in utero have a cervical lordosis. In fact, 83% already had a well-defined cervical lordosis that was depicted as a piece of a circle, by the way. 11% of the 195 uh, fetuses had a military or straight neck, and 6% had the flexed neck position or the kyphotic neck. But that's at 8 to 23 weeks. So Begnell et al. Go, go into the development of the curve, and they say by birth, all the kids should have a cervical lordosis, all of them. It, it corresponds to the development of the respiratory and cardiac centers in the brainstem, in the nuclei. It corresponds to the ossification or the beginning of ossification in the vertebral body, in the pedicle, in the lamina, in the spinous process. So in utero, the kid's extensor muscles are firing and it loads the vertebrae and it triggers the ossification centers to begin developing. So if you're not born with a cervical curve, you got a problem. It's already present by the time you come out. So the idea that it develops after birth, number one, that's just absolutely not true. And you can pick up any uh, um, ultrasound imaging book and articles now that show the development of the human fetus. And you'll see at about the same time frame, 8 to 20 weeks, you'll start to see a well-defined cervical lordosis. So in my opinion, you, you should not call this a secondary curve. It's a primary curve. Yeah, Maybe you know what I yeah go, go ahead, ahead Fred. <laughs> oh, I just think that supports even more why we're doing this deed because you know everybody learns in school. I mean, I practiced ten years. I've been a chiropractor for over twenty years, and I can't count how many hundreds of classes I gave that says a secondary curve because that's what we learn. And I, to me, that supports exactly what we're doing because this is our profession. You know, when we get up there and look like we don't know what we're talking about when this is common knowledge, number one, that's the first challenge. So basically, you can't take what you learn from school. You have to go outside of school, do seminars like CBP, and then learn how to give those workshops so people know that. And then the second thing, if it does develop in utero and those extensor muscles don't pull, then what's the probability you're going to get abnormal formation of the vertebrae, and then that can be permanent deformation. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, when you look at an x-ray, where do you think a, a true wedge-shaped vertebra comes from? Now, in the, in the developing child, they do have a little bit of wedging in the cervical spine because the growth plates aren't ossified yet. But when you see strong wedging at one or two vertebra in the neck and you don't see it in the rest of the spine, you pretty much better look at the cervical curve and you're going to see a kyphotic area at those segments or a large anterior head translation and it's loading those bones too much and it's inhibiting longitudinal growth at the anterior portion of the vertebral body. And then, then you get a permanent kyphosis in the neck or a permanent straightening at those segments due to Huter volkmans law, which is uh, how bone grows under load. Well, I think that becomes even stronger that, you know, and this is something I used to do and I'm sure there's lots of doctor out there 
when we had a, we used to attract a ton of pregnant women, and we used to have uh, workshops for expecting parents that not only talked about vaccination, but this would be such an important topic to have that baby checked right away, like as soon as they're born, because if those bones are forming abnormally, that's permanent distortion. You got to get that curve in there and find out where those challenges are ASAP so you can have the probability maybe those bones can form normally over time while they're growing. Right. Yep. And, and Deed, I w can you please go over for our audience because there's a lot of misunderstanding between Wolf's Law and Huter Volkman's Law a little bit. Can you yeah, tell really, us the difference? Yeah, really quick, I'll, I'll do the difference between those two and then I'll jump into a couple other studies and then we'll get, get back to this issue here. Um, Huter Volkman's law is how bone models. Wolf's law is how bone remodels. The difference is remodel versus model. So really, until the growth plates are fused in our solid bone, it's Huter Volkman's law that's taking effect. And on a growing bone, if you subject the, the growing bone across the growth plate, to increased long axis compression, you will inhibit longitudinal growth. So for example, in the vertebral body, if you compress the front of the vertebral body, you'll inhibit the long axis or longitudinal growth of the front of the vertebral body. And what will happen is the part of the vertebra, the posterior, that's not under increased compression, it'll have accelerated long axis growth. So then that's how you get wedged vertebra. It's a law. And, you know, I've had people over the years say, well, I don't believe in Huter Volkman's law. It's like, okay, well, then why don't you jump out of an airplane without a parachute then? Because you don't believe in gravity. And we'll see how far that gets you. You know what I mean? It, that's the name law. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it applies and it doesn't matter if you believe in it. It really doesn't care. You know what I mean? So. Uh, Wolf's law then is after the, the vertebral uh, growth plates are, are fused and we've got no cartilaginous bone, then what happens when you have increased compression, that triggers a negative charge and you get osteoblasts that build bone under the sites of compression. And then it, it triggers a positive charge and then that, that excites osteoclasts that chew down bone at the site of the positive charge. And of course, it's not just an electrical phenomenon from like uh, piezoelectric properties. It's fluid flow inside the bone, et cetera. But that's the, the, uh, the general difference between Wolf's Law and Huter Volkman's Law. It has to do with whether or not it's growing or immature bone or whether it's done growing and it's mature bone. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for going over that because I know there's a lot of confusion in our, in our profession because I hear students and young doctors misrepresenting the two, especially when I hear them given a, a spinal care class. Um, sometimes they mention big words like that, not that the patients need to hear that, but they talk about laws like that, and sometimes they use Wolf's Law in kids. So thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, uh, real quick, let me just go through a couple uh, studies and then we can uh, kind of shoot back and forth here as you guys get some ideas. But you know, now knowing that the cervical curve forms in utero, what happens to the infant when you don't have a cervical curve? There's a great paper that came out in 1994 out of kind of an abstract anatomical journal that not too many people look at. It's called Acta Anatomia. It's a Scandinavian journal, still a great peer-reviewed journal on anatomy. Schatz, S-H-A-T-Z, 
et al. came out in 1994 in this journal, and the title of the paper is Cervical Posture and Nasal Breathing in Infancy. And what they did is, is they showed in some, some dissections and then some, some live fetuses or some, yeah, live fetuses that when you flex the neck, it's specifically the mid and upper cervical uh, portion of the cervical spine and you lose the cervical curve, you close down the velloglossal and the velloepiglottic sphincters. And th those are the airways. That's the nasal airway and the throat airway. So when you lose the neck curve, you're shutting down the sphincters for airflow. So a quote from their particular paper goes like this. The most important anatomical parameter found to facilitate the switch from nasal to oral ventilation in human infants is a cervical extension creating a physiological lordosis of the neck that results in an opening of the velloglossal and velloepiglottic sphincters. And they go on to say that in kids that have flexed neck postures, this may be a contributing factor to sudden infant death syndrome. But then even bigger than that, I mean, if that's not big enough, forgive me. I mean, that's big. But, he, you know, aside from that, you, you've got the potential for asthma and allergies and all these other childhood conditions due to difficulty in, in respiration. And so you got to say to yourself, hey, what is this doing to the child? It's reducing oxygenation to the tissues. And what can that do? Well, that can do just about anything to the child. So, you know, I mean, that's an impactful study. I think, you know, that needs to be talked about to the parents and the kids and it needs to be shown. And, and I think we're going to throw that in the new workshop that we're doing uh, with elite coaching and CBP. We'll throw that particular paper in there when we talk about abnormal uh, cervical lordosis in childhood. Because you, you got to get the kids, number one, off their backs on the three-inch pillow. If you're going to put them on their back, don't put a three-inch pillow behind their head. You're flexing their neck and you're shutting down their airflow. So they'd rather have a flat ox, a flat head, than at least they can breathe. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know. So, you know, the other thing is that I want to touch upon is the pediatric uh, cervical lordosis magnitudes. Now, if we're gonna if we're gonna analyze kids and we're gonna adjust them and try to correct them, we've got to have a normal model to try to strive for. And unfortunately, you can't use the ideal models on the adults because we know that the child is going through growth spurts and we're going through some, some funny changes throughout the spine that can affect the cervical lordosis. So a, a very nice table appears in the CBP cervical rehab book in chapter three. And in chapter three, we go through information showing that the cervical lordosis changes throughout growth in pediatric years from the age of two all the way up to 17 years of age. And most importantly, between the ages of uh, about seven to 11 years of age, you're going to have a cervical lordosis that's about one third reduced compared to the normal adult values. So the normal adult average value, not the ideal, but the average value is 34 degrees from C2 to C7, whereas the, the child from 7 to 11 years of age, they're going to have a curve that's in the mid to lower 20 degrees. So you can't use the adult values 
for the pediatric kids in these age groups from specifically from about seven to 11. So you got to use the available information and then proceed, proceed appropriately when you, when you're going to be x-raying the, the, uh, the child cervical lordosis and comparing them to normal data. Now, Deed, is there any um, averages on anterior head carriage as the developing head is obviously a lot larger than their, their torso? Do we have any data on that? Well, you know, that's a great question, Joe. The The problem is nobody has really looked at anterior head translation that I know of in developing children on an x-ray. What we What they've done is they've done full spine sagittal balance and they've looked at what's called the C7 plumb line. And the C7 plumb line is in the middle of the body of C7. We drop a, a vertical line down on a full spine x-ray, and we compare that vertical line from C7 relative to the posterior superior body corner of S1. And the, the kids have a greater anterior sagittal displacement as compared to adults, and that has to do with the formation of the lumbar and the thoracic lordosis, and it has to do with the weight of the skull relative to the percentage of body mass. You know, kids, uh, young kids have a 25% body mass of their skull compared to an adult that has a 7.5% body mass. So it is, it is going to be a little bit forward, but it can't be too much forward because if you think about what I just said about the body right, masses, right, right. It, you take 25% of your body mass and you shift it forward, you're asking for trouble. Well, then you get a whole thoracic, anterior thoracic translation, starts flattening that curve even more, and now you're set up for scoliosis. That's exactly right. And that's already occurring, Fred, with uh, in the ages of 7 to 11 when the cervical lordosis in the child is decreased into the lower to mid-20s, that's due to the thoracic kyphosis straightening out somewhat. So the cervical spine is absolutely coupled to the growth and development of the thoracic curve. And you're right, we have to be careful of the development of scoliosis in that age range as well. Well, one thing too, you know, on that from a, a management, a clinical combining management together is why, you know, I know when I practice, we just made it a policy in a core is, you know, your system should match your core values where once kids were hit five years old, you x-rayed them because once they get in that seven to 11 range pre-adolescent, they hit those growth spurts, any subluxation pattern that they have, indeed you can confirm this, just becomes highly accelerated. And any flattening of the sagittal curves, then your spines are gonna bend on the AP, on the coronal plane, and now you're into big problems. Then you, then you get the Uter-Volkman rule where once those shifts and weight bearing starts to change, now the vertebrae start to develop an anomalous pattern. You know, you shift the body weight to one side, now the legs grow at different rates, and that can be permanent damage. So when you're looking at kids that are approaching seven years old, it is urgent that they get x-rayed. It's not even something, it's not a suggestion. I mean, Dee just went through the research and the postural patterns that can cause problems, developmental problems and health problems for the rest of their life as they're approaching that 7 to 11 year age span. Would you agree? Yeah, that, that's the most pressing age to be doing this because you're worried about deformity acceleration. Uh, but I always had a rule in my practice, aside from, you know, pregnancy, 
my rule went like this. The, the only people we don't x-ray are the ones without spines. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we x-rayed the, the real little ones. I mean, we're talking from, you know, day, day, you know, two or three when they can get in the office, especially if, if they had a difficult delivery. Let's say it was breach or we used the C-section vacuum distraction, you know, suction cup or, God forbid, forceps or something. You know, we're x-raying these kids, and it, it shocks you. If you don't take x-rays on kids, hey, come to our pediatric seminar, and we'll show you retrolistheses. We'll show you antralistheses in kids that are just, a, you know, two, three weeks old. And if you don't think you need to x-ray them, hey, wake up, man. Yeah, and we're going to show you instabilities that are true instabilities, too, not the pseudo-subluxations that we're taught either. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. You know the- yeah, no, I was going to say, dude, you know, I, I adopted my little boy, and at two and a half, when we got him out from Russia, first thing that I wanted to do was to x-ray him because I knew nothing about his medical history. Even though his posture looked great, I knew nothing about his, his spinal health. And, you know, we'll pick something up long before we see in his posture. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And that kind of brings us to my uh, second to last point that I'd like to address before I, I ask Dr. Fred some questions is, you know, the idea about anti-x-ray in pediatrics. I mean, hey, come on. We got to get over this. Number one, you know, you take your kid to the dentist and the dentist is going to take a bunch of x-rays on on the teeth and, you know, through the face. And, yeah, they try to use filters and shields. But, hey, you're x-raying the skull and the brain, too. And in the end, they make fake teeth. Yep. They, They don't make fake spines. So, you know, if you're going to x-ray your child's teeth, then you damn better x-ray your child's spine. And if you want to be conservative, let's let's x-ray the neck until they get, you know, in the years where you're worried about scoliosis or if you see a big short leg in them, then you better take an x-ray of the low back and see what you can do there. But let's start x-raying these kids. And it's not because we just want to expose them to ionizing radiation. It's because we want to find spine subluxations that may impact them for the rest of their life. Exactly. And, you know, after being with you guys, I mean, I've attended all the CBP seminars a bunch. I think one of the most, they're all impressive, but one of the most impressive is your upper cervical evaluation and how many of these kids have had falls, fell off the counter. And like you said, there's ligament injury. And, uh, you know, if you don't know how to evaluate that, you can't just you know, go clicking with an activator here and there based on what you feel. I mean, it's got to be very specific or these kids are very sick. Yep, that's exactly right. And, you know, a, a great CBP doctor, uh, Dr. Anthony Bistecki, Tony Bistecki, uh, he did his advanced certification in CBP and he did his publication on a, a child that at the age of three years old was diagnosed with ADHD. I believe it was three. It was either two or three. And, of course, you know, the medical management of that is two to three years of Ritalin for the kid. And, you know, with ADHD, it's a multifactorial condition. And I I use the rule of, of the three Ds. And some people may not like my three Ds, but I, I think they hold true. No. Number one is diet. If you're giving your kid Twinkies and, and diet soda, 
man, there's no way they're going to behave right. So you got to do something with their diet. And there's good studies coming out on controlled diet and dietary modifications in ADHD. And that's the first D. The second D is discipline. You know what I mean? There's some of these kids that are just running wild because their parents just, you know, peace, love, joy. It's okay if Billy pulls out a knife and stabs me in the leg. I don't want to spank him. You know what I mean? That's just totally unacceptable. You, you've got to discipline the children. The children don't know enough to make the right decision, but they do understand consequences. And, you know, for those of you out there that think that I'm wrong, just look at the animal kingdom. We're all animals, man. We're all part of this world. You watch how animals discipline their young, and maybe that'll give you a little bit of a heads up on how to discipline your young. So number number two is de-discipline. And then number three is Dr. Deed. And what that means is that's chiropractic, man. You know, let's check them for subluxation. So Tony Bistecki, in his case study that, by the way, was published in, in JMPT in 2004, he found that this kid had a cervical kyphosis in an atlas plane line that was flexed. Instead of being extended by 20 to 28 degrees, the kid's got a flexed atlas plane line in a kyphotic neck. And so then for two or three years, the kid's treated unsuccessfully with Ritalin and Adderall and Haldol. And then what, what Tony did is he uh, treated him or adjusted him. I know some people don't like the word treat, but intervened for 35 visits, including extension traction to correct the neck curve, got a curve back in the neck, and then the ADHD spontaneously remitted. In fact, the parent, the teacher, and the MD all agreed that chiropractic was the thing that improved the condition. Yeah, that was wow, a great that's, that's got to be impactful for those guys to admit that. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. So you got to take a look at these young kids and give them a cervical curve because you just don't right. know, you know, all the crap that he's on. Jeez. Well, well, I'll tell you now, too, just as a side note, Tony is an elite client. And, uh, you know, his ability now, obviously, he has the clinical skills, but his ability to communicate and, and you could be a great clinician. It's your ability to teach the patient, inspire the parents that allow you to use such a phenomenal technique to change lives. I mean, you could be the greatest clinician, but if you can't teach these people and create an emotional impression, they're not going to stay long enough to get those results. Yeah, and thanks to his, his study. So you to combine the, both. Yeah, I keep his study on hand for when kids come in or the parents are, are telling us about know what's going on with little Johnny we print off that uh, that that research paper but that Tony did in JMPT because it's quite powerful even though they might not understand what it is they understand how to read the title and they understand that it was chiropractic and they a lot of times they'll share it with their pediatrician and that opens up a line of communication with that medical doctor as well too and you know as far as you know I think we should all treat more more uh, kids even in my clinic I wish we could treat more kids and, uh, you know, it's part of, uh, and with you, Fred, learn how to communicate a little bit better to our, our patients to bring in their kids, you know, and so we can check them all. Yeah. Hey, r- real quick, before we shift gears to Fred, just, you know, we, number one, we need to put this in the spinal care class under evidence for pediatrics. And it's visual, man. They, they've got a before that shows a cervical kyphosis and an after that shows a lordosis. And once you explain a little anatomy and the alignment to people, they get it. They understand x-ray when you show it to them. 
The, the other thing is, you know, this is the plug for the pediatric dental roll. At this time, I mean, Tony, Dr. Tony Bistecki did a great job. We didn't have pediatric tools to change the cervical curve. And that's one of the reasons why I partnered with Adrian Denewald over in Australia was because I wanted to, to modify his adult dental uh, orthotic and, and make a pediatric orthotic because there was nothing out on the market for pediatric cervical curves. And, and this, this pediatric dental is really the, it, it is the greatest thing out there for kids that have abnormal lordosis. It's specifically designed for them. They, they can do it readily. Uh, you lay them down, and, and not that I'm a fan of the Nintendo or the DS or whatever it is, but they can lay on that, put their arms up, and, and play a video game while they're correcting their neck curve. So let's get people using the pedi- pediatric dental roll on the kids that have loss of the curve. Yeah, and it is a, it's not as dense as far as um, it's a lot softer. If people have laid on our, the adult uh, dental rolls, they would you know, wonder how, how is my child going to lay on you know, the, the pediatric one, but they are softer. Yep. Now, Dr. Fred, are you there? Yeah. Now, here, here's the thing. I mean, I was always okay. I wasn't great, but I was okay at getting the kids in my office. But, man, there's a lot of chiropractors out there that just don't know how to get the kids in the office. I mean, what, what do you recommend to the, to the doctors out there in terms of, number one, getting the kids in the office, and then, number two, a family plan when the whole family's under care? Because, you know, you throw five or six people of the same family under care at the same time, you know, everybody always says, well, that's expensive. What do we do? So do you have some, uh, some thoughts on those two issues? Well, of course, it's all a system, and again, your system should support your core values. So, you know, when you're operating according to the principle of chiropractic, like we've talked about today, it has to start with the kids, and it has to start from birth. So, first of all, when you have the patient application system, before you even meet the patient, and you have their entry paperwork, you're looking to see if they have kids. So immediately before I shake their hand and introduce myself standing outside the door, I already know they're married with three kids. Let's say it's a mom in there. So as you're going through, you get them, you know, the first three minutes, get them from pain into posture through the consultation. You're um, getting them from posture into organs. And as you pick up things like allergies that are related to cervical problems, uh, indeed, I know you can, you probably confirm this, that postural patterns run in families, similar postural patterns. Yeah. And so you say right there when you pick up allergies and a person suffered with allergies for 10 years, then you say, you know, I noticed you have three kids. Do any of your kids have allergies? Well, yeah, my son and my daughter. You know, it could be that they're mimicking the same postural patterns that you are. You know, so by the time I've gone through the consultation, I've reframed everything. So a person can say, you know, if they say, well, I had allergies as a kid, but, you know, I don't have them now. They're already minimizing. That's you have to reframe that and say, well, it could be that you never developed, your cervical spine may have never developed the proper curves from childhood. And then they'll, that, you'll see the light go on. And then right there you say, do you have, your kids have allergies? What are their ages? Well, they may be developing just like you did. And that can lead to immunosuppressive problems. You know, so there I would plant the seed. As you go on into the exam and you're noticing postural patterns, you can bring up the kids again right there on the, on the, uh, now right there, I would say, bring your kids. Can you bring them in with you tomorrow with your husband in the report? 
And they may do that, they may not, but the more you get that emotional hook, you know, when you start bringing that up, they go, you know, my daughter's been suffering a ton. Can I have you check her? Especially after you do the exam. And with the exam, we teach you no matter what they came in with, how a person at the end of that new patient exam on day one will literally feel injured from the base of their occiput to their sacrum. They will know, even if they came in with back pain, that they have a neck problem. Indeed, you have cited, not necessarily on this podcast, but on other ones, you know, one of the most common causes of back pain is a forward head posture. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they're going to know at the end of day one, it's a full spine problem. Now, once they get there and you've already tied in the kids, they want to bring their kids in on day two. Now, even let's say they don't and you look at, you're looking at their x-rays with the spouse on day two and there's ways to get the spouse there. Then again, you're bringing in the kids and postural patterns. You know, if, you, if they're having fatigue or immune system problems, you know, you bring up the kids again, what kind of problems they have. What can, you know, a great preface is what concerns me. So you say, what concerns me, dot, 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 Mrs. Jones. Is your, you mentioned you have two kids with these same immunosuppressive problems. It could be their spine may, may not be developing normally. Now, like what you said in the beginning, Deep, what if they're 40 years old with some degeneration? You're saying, Mr. Jones, to have this level of degeneration, your spine may have never formed not normally, for not only from childhood, but from birth. Yep. yep. So right there, your kids may be following that same pattern. I'm very concerned about their immune system sy symptoms that they're having right now. Now, you have that kind of language pattern. Boom, they're bringing them in. Yeah, and it, you know, if they're just there, uh, Fred, one of the things that we've done, and not to give a shameless plug to my iPhone screening app, but it's so easy to do a posture screen on those kids. It takes literally less than a minute to do it. And they have the reports of their kids sitting in their inbox when they go home, and when they come back, they're, they, they're convinced, hey, you know what, I want to go ahead and really get my, my child thoroughly checked out because they already know what their posture looks like because they've already went through their day one. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's absolutely right. And just real quick for anybody out there that's got some doubts, let's get real because the alternative is as I'm going to give a shout out to Billy D from Cal Jam and the DCS. He did a podcast or a uh, DCS buzz in early January of, of 2011 this year where he went through the fact that over 25% of the kids are on drugs, man, and that's pharmaceutical and prescription drugs. So the alternative is drug them up, so let's get them checked. So if you don't know how to get kids in the office, you better listen up. Well, exactly. The next thing you know, when, when the parents bring them in, like what you said, Joe, they, a lot of times they bring them in with appointments. When they're standing there and you're pointing out these postural distortions, and, and you're talking about abnormal development and, and their age and how the bones, the way their spine is developing right now can determine the health for the rest of their life. And, you're, and they're already talking, they have immunosuppressive problems like allergies. Hey, allergies as a kid can be cancer as an adult. It can be rheumatoid arthritis. You know, allergies that get more deeply seated in your body turn into autoimmune problems. So, and, and that's, True. I mean, those diseases progress. So when they're actually looking at the abnormal development of their child, that's a big emotional hook to get x-rays. Yep, absolutely. And, th and then you're, sh 
you're showing abnormal development of the spine on x-ray, they'll find the money. And, and obviously we show you how to talk to them like that. One more thing, the next thing is what Deeds already mentioned several times, is you gotta teach a new patient workshop. And when there's kids, both parents have to be there. Now there's ways to do that, and we have that all worked out. When you're going through this stuff, what Dee talked about, and you have that research in there, one question that you ask is, based on what you've heard tonight, how many parents feel it's your responsibility as a parent to know how your child's spine's developing? But you've already given one-liners. How your when your kids are home sleeping in their bed right now, how their spine is forming tonight will determine their health for the rest of their life. How their spine is forming right now. So you ask that question. You make them raise their hand. How many people have kids? Raise your hand. Based on what you learn, is it important as a parent to know how your child's spine developing is developing? Now they'll say yes. They'll raise their hand. And then you go write their names down. We're making appointments for them tonight. Yep. yep. Now they'll bring them in. That's a, that's a great thing, Fred. Really. So, and that's how you take one, you get one patient, and you turn them into three. That's how you build your practice. And it's through that workshop, through your day one, day two. And that workshop that uh, we're putting together, Elite and CBP is putting together, is phenomenal. No question. Joe's helping us out. It'll be the best new patient workshop in the profession, hands down. Yeah, and it'll be backed by the cutting edge research for corrective chiropractic practices. I mean, that's it. It's not. It's not for every doctor out there. It, it, it's it's for corrective chiropractic offices. That's what it's designed for. Well, and plus, when you throw this research out, you're going to want it. They're going to want their spine corrected. Yeah. So when they see this, and when you talk about abnormal postures, immune system, metabolism, and disease shortened lifespan and all these things that we that uh, are cited in there people are going to say i want to fix my spine yeah that's right So we have a responsibility but that's what chiropractic is that's why there's chiropractic united that's exactly it hey real quick i want to make sure that uh, people understand the uh, value of the posture ray x-ray system uh, dr joe frantelli like uh, fred said in the beginning when he introduced him as ceo of posture co which one of the major major products is posture ray joe what what does posture ray have to offer for the pediatric spine what are we doing for that well right now i'm working with you on getting the pediatric values in there especially at least for the global angles as uh, you know up until their their teens um, and then from that point, we're going to actually work with our mathematicians and actually come up with a new elliptical model that we can actually change on the, the patient's x-ray, the child's x-ray. The green normal line will actually change based on their age. Now, right now, the way we're going to have it is we're going to have the, the normal lordosis on there is just an educational line. And, of course, there's an asterisk below saying that, you know, this is just an estimate. Um, and that the actual values are in the table form. And we used, obviously, the references that you cite in a cervical rehab text for the global values. So we can actually get some legitimate values because, uh, you know, I've been, you know, at, you know, we have a whiplash seminar um, this weekend, and I've been, you know, in a deposition where they would say, well, how do we know that the child is supposed to have this neck curve? And, you know, on that, that deposition back then, we didn't even have posture, and I had to hand draw it on there. 
but I, at least I had those values from the cervical rehab text, and I, I could say, listen, this patient is seven years old, and these are the values based on the, the normal populations for that age. And there is no argument for that. So just showing the science and making it easy for the patients to understand, it's really, you know, I have to say, people ask me all the time, I'm not being self-serving saying this, but posture is one of the best ways to build your practice because, you know, a lot of times if the spouse doesn't come in there, they're getting quality reports and they show their neighbors, they show their primary doctors. And then in, in this case, they would show their pediatricians who, you know, a lot of times they're not even looking at the original x-rays. This is the first time that they're actually looking at the child's x-rays or through posture. And so we've had some really good feedback thus far. So that's what we're working on right now. And uh, we're finalizing that right now too. So any of the users that are out there, they can just contact uh, PostureCo and um, we'll go ahead and get them updated to, you know, that beta release. Yeah. Hey, just one thing, Joe. Can you hurry up? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, <laughs> I, I need you to, to answer some questions, too. So you can't just blame me. I know you like to give me a hard time on that. But, yeah, it's, yeah, got- it's always a work in progress because we're always, when we find out new things, we're always evolving. And that's one of the things that I've always gravitated to in CBP and why I've been with with you and your dad for so long was, you know, for the longest time, we thought the, you know, lumbar lordosis was a piece of the circle like the neck. When we found out that it was more, that it was elliptical, we changed and we changed what we do. And so we're always with the new research evolving CBP. That's what I yep. like about it. And same thing goes with posture. Ray. We're always evolving that. Yep. Right on. Anything else you want to add, Fred, at all before we summarize here? Well, once again, you know, and it just solidifies, you know, elite coaching represents doctors that truly want to correct the spine. And, you know, the whole reason we're doing Chiropractic United is to bring all this together because the profession is, is now, whether you realize it or not, the future, present and future of the, of the profession is dependent on this research. If we're going to continue and expand and really do what chiropractic was set out to do. Nobody can argue against the science. That's what Joe just said. I mean, hands down, this is it. And uh, to me, this is the hope for the present and future of the profession, and that's why we're doing this. Yep, right on. Okay, guy. for everybody that's listening in out there, uh, all the chiropractors and students and uh, prospects out there, uh, just give a shout out to you. Thank you for listening. And uh, just to let you know, all the topics that we discuss on Chiropractic United, we, we take and we break them down into more detail online at chiropracticunited.com. And we do online video trainings in depth on these particular topics, like more information on the pediatric lordosis. How do you actually uh, use the dental roll to correct the different types of curves? When is it indicated and contraindicated? Exact communication strategies and plans so you can get the kids under corrective chiropractic care. Uh, So check us out at uh, chiropracticunited.com. And uh, I I think we'll uh, sign off here. Right, gentlemen? Yeah, one last thing. Sounds good. Yeah, one last thing. I was going to say, Deed, um, I just wanted to touch on, we actually, we're going to be in Anaheim, California, when on March 12th and 13th for an X-ray and posture principles seminar, correct? Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. That's a... uh, a really good introductory and intermediate level course for CBP. And if you haven't been for a while and you think you know CBP, come and check it out, and I guarantee you'll be blown away. 
And then on March 18th and 19th, uh, we actually have a hands-on training. Can you tell us a little bit about what we do differently on that one? And that's well, the in Washington as well. Yeah, Washington, D.C. at uh, Dr. Brian Paris's office. Hey, what's up, Brian, if you're listening? Um, uh, Dr. Brian Paris's office, he's going to host a hands-on workshop. And what we do is we take everything that we've done in the seminars and we see, can you apply it? Can you and your partner, which is another doctor attending the course, can you apply it? Can you do mirror image adjusting under pressure with me and, and Joe watching? Can you do mirror image exercises? Can you, can you do appropriate traction when we put you on the spot? And, can we, you, and we limit that to what, about 20 people? Yeah, the most we take is 20 people. And then Dr. Fred's going to be at both these seminars talking about uh, implementing CBP technique into, into your practice and corrective care. And then for those of you that are already doing it, how we do a better job at doing it. And, and uh, Dr. Brian Paris uh, is an elite client, so you can actually see the combination of uh, CBP technique full on in, in Brian's office and how he implements elite coaching with Dr. Fred in a full-blown CBP office with all the equipment there and, uh, and everything. And then, well, just to give a testimonial to the hands-on training, I went to uh, Jason Haas, Jason Sandy Haas last year. And although I don't practice, but you know I've attended so much CBP seminars, those hands-on workshops are truly how to go from a seminar into the application on Monday, where you will practice differently. Your knowledge and skill will be so different on Monday. Knowledge is concept, but you need the experience to bring it to wisdom and to bring, bring it into application. And that seminar, if you're involved in CBP, you have to go to that. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if you think you know it, show up and let me find out because I'm going to throw a, I'll throw a case at you and I'll put you on the spot in front of your peers and let's see if you know how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Then the last one I want to plug is our March 26th, 27th seminar, and that's in Orlando. So if you guys need a good... Disney getaway for your family, that's a good one. That's going to be drop table adjusting. Yeah, and Joe Ferentelli needs you to show up at that one because that's in his neck of the woods, and I told him, yeah. if we don't get a good turnout, I'm not coming back, and, and Joe really wants you there so he doesn't have to travel on the weekends. Cause yeah, it's right so that would be a good one, though. A lot of people like Orlando. We have a great Hilton in Orlando on Destination Parkway. It's a fantastic hotel. So I'm yep. looking forward to that, too. And plus, it's only about an hour and a half from my office, so that works out really great. Yep. All right, guys. All right, gang. Enjoy right. talking. We'll see you see, guys thanks. next week, then. Yep. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.